Welcome to the PokePress Digest Podcast, a Pokemon news magazine show. Here you'll find some of the best content offered by our site. For more, visit us at pokepress.blogspot.com. For this single segment episode, we have a panel that was recorded at last month's Anime Bonsai in Utah. Listen as Anne from PB Podcast and I share what we've learned from discussing Pokemon music, followed by a few questions from the audience. If you'd like to know more about what I did at Anime Bonsai, look for a link to a recap video in the episode description. Thanks. Okay, so thank you everyone for coming. I always appreciate that. Uh, My name is Steven, and here's my uh, co-panelist, Anne. Hello. And this is How to End a Pokemon Movie Musically. Going to give you guys a brief overview. Uh, we're going to talk about who we are and our background, uh, some fundamental assumptions we have, sort of a brief overview, uh, some of our observations, and then it's just going to be Q&A. So if you have questions about Pokemon music or want to share what your favorite is, that's all good, and we'll have a good amount of time is what we're planning for that, okay? All right, so first off, let's see who we are. So my name is Stephen Reich. Uh, I operate a YouTube channel called PokePress. And uh, we do a lot of interviews uh, with various folks, some other like uh, news type stuff, but a lot of musically related uh, sort of interviews and discussions and things of that nature. So that's, that's sort of the bulk of it. Um, there are a lot of musician interviews. Some of those include John Leffler, who wrote the original Pokemon theme and worked for many years on the TV show uh, for the dub. Let's see, Mark Chait who, uh, if you don't know, co-wrote the Power of One song for the second movie, speaking of end themes. And uh, I've also interviewed Aaron Bowman, uh, who did a number of things in the fourth and fifth generation of the dub of the anime. So those are just a few of the things there. Uh, My website is pokepress.blogspot.com. For many years, I also used to manage something called the Pokemon Internet Radio Network, or PIRN, I uh, ran that from 2000 to 2015, so some of you may know that. Anyone recognize my voice? It's okay if you don't. We never had that big of a listenership. Uh, but I do have a large collection of Pokemon music from the U.S., Japan, Europe, and a few other places. And uh, for this discussion, uh, I'm going to be bringing more of a Western perspective. I did spend like a week and a half in Japan, but... I don't know the language that well, so I'm speaking more from the Western perspective of the Pokemon music. Okay, Anne, uh, why don't you uh, go ahead? Okay. Well, I, I'm Anne Werner. I'm a, an actor, a writer, and a Vocaloid musician, and I do audiobooks, and you can hear me in Loose Cannon, the audio web series, if you're that interested. Um, but what I do with Pokemon is I run Pikapi Podcast, and it goes through the entire Pokemon series and analyzes the character development and the storytelling and random facts like Ash is actually trilingual, who knew? Um, And my education was I got a BFA in acting and then with a Japanese minor. So I got to go to Japan and I did some acting there. I attended Kobe University. And I also worked in a daycare with a bunch of little children who loved Pokemon. So that's the angle that I'm coming at it with is I, I also have a Western perspective, but I have a bit more ability to read data on the Japanese side as well as the perspective of some of the people I knew over there and how they responded to Pokemon. Yeah, if you want to check out Anne's stuff, she's at pkppodcast.blogspot.com. Right now you're working through Advanced Generation. I forget if you're in Season 6 or technically Season 7. We have technically made it into Season 6. We, or at least we've switched opening themes. All uh, right. Well, 
So you may be wondering how this all got started. So let's see. So about two years ago, Anne and I started a discussion series where we take the uh, English and Japanese endings of each Pokemon movie, and we sort of compare and contrast. We do research. Uh, that's where Anne has been pretty helpful because on the Japanese side, I'm kind of don't know much about many of the artists, but uh, we started that in 2016. And uh, the latest one we did, this is, uh, right now this is exclusive to Anne's Patreon, but it should be on my channel in a few weeks. Uh, she gets a one-month exclusivity on most of our regular discussions. This one will be out a little bit sooner on my channel. But we did the Victini movies, not movie movies, <laughs> because for those of you who aren't aware, there were two Victini movies with two different ending songs. On both sides. On both sides, <laughs> although one side was more different than the other, and we had a lot of fun uh, discussing that. Uh, musically, is, is actually, in a way, how the things are, are the most different there. No, that was a fun one. Now, I should point out that for our discussions, we generally discuss the first song in the end credits if there are multiple songs, so you may be a little disappointed by our first movie discussion in which we pull from the English side, uh, We're a Miracle, and uh, not Don't Say You Love Me. Um, <laughs> Don't Say You Love Me isn't some horrible song or anything like that, but We Are a Miracle, a lot more interesting, a lot more tied to the movie. Mm. And uh, this is mostly U.S. versus Japan in our discussions, but we do try to bring in other things. Versus is used a little loosely. But. Yeah, yeah. We're, when we get to our assumptions, we'll kind of explain. We go for a certain tone here that is probably not what you might be used to on the Internet lately. <laughs> but uh, we've done some special episodes, right, Anne? Uh, yeah, we did. Um uh, some episodes about European Pokemon music, and because a lot of people don't realize that they actually have uh, composed original music over there as well. And then we did a fun one where it was like, if our favorite bands did a Pokemon song, like, they never have, but you know, I think you were in excess and I was the J-pop group Perfume. Yeah. Yeah, you picked, uh, yeah, Perfume, I picked uh, Australian rock group NXS, and if you know the history of that band, it's kind of obvious why they didn't do a Pokemon song. They were kind of out of commission during the peak years, uh, unfortunately. But, um, yeah, Perfume, I, I learned a lot about that, and I think you learned a fair bit about... I sure did learn about NXS. <laughs> Yeah. All right. Well, yeah, so that's kind of some of the stuff we've done. We try to do that in between generations of the anime. So actually, we just did European music between Gens 4 and 5. Mm -hmm. And we've got two more Gen 5 movies. And then we'll be doing another special episode of some sort. We haven't decided yet. One thing you can bring up here is if you have ideas for a band that's never done a Pokemon song, and you think one of their songs would work really well, past or present, tell us about it. Tell yeah, us tell about us about it. it. We might end up using that uh, in between the fifth and sixth generation mm -hmm. movies. But that's sort of our discussion series. Now, we have a few fundamental assumptions. I know that sounds kind of boring, but I'll try to make it interesting. <laughs> so, uh, like most forms of art, uh, judging music is inherently subjective. We, do, we don't think that there's necessarily a right or wrong judgment. And uh, we don't expect you to have a music theory background. You shouldn't need to even you know, know how to play an instrument or anything like that for this discussion. We try to keep it fairly open and, and not dive too deep into terminology. Yeah, most of my input is, that sounds so pretty. I like that. And it's, yeah, you don't have to be technical and know about the circle of fifths or anything. Yeah, yeah. Anne obviously has some stage background. Uh, my parents are current or former orchestra teachers, and I learned playing the cello, but we don't expect you to have anything on that level to be part of this discussion, okay? We're a fangirl. In any case, uh, the other assumption we kind of make is that most songs are, on a scale of one to ten, they're not ones, and they're not tens. We've kind of, one of the reasons I started this series with the tone I did is just that I've really felt 
And I'm sure you've probably noticed that extreme viewpoints in all sorts of fields are a little overrepresented in today's society. And uh, we, I'm not going to say those are wrong or worthless, but I think they have a tendency to block out more, I guess you could say, deep or nuanced opinions. And uh, I think we have a few other things here. Uh, original doesn't necessarily make it better. You want to sort of talk about that, Anne? Yeah, so a lot of people... It's hard to have a, an objective discussion about Pokemon music because there is somewhat of a divide in the fandom where it's like, it came from Japan, therefore it's perfect, and the dub is evil. And the fact is, it's music. It's what we respond to, what we relate to, and you can have an experience and a really good relationship with anything if it's something that touches you. And it's important to hear those opinions as well. We've also had a few movies where we've gone through the Japanese and English one, and we think they're just both okay. <laughs> yeah, sometimes neither of them is especially beautiful. But we love them anyway. Yeah, I don't think we've come up with one that we really dislike or anything like that. So, But uh, that's sort of the, the gist of it right there. Um, and another thing we noticed, we talked about this kind of Don't See You Love Me a little bit, but some of the songs, they're perfectly good songs. But they're not necessarily the best uh, ending theme song to a movie either. So uh, those are some of our assumptions there. That kind of sets the ground rules. But uh, in any case... Let's talk about what we learned during this. Yeah, so here's kind of a brief overview. Um, I'm not sure how many of the Pokemon movies each of you have seen. There are 21 of them. The 21st one comes out in U.S. theaters. There's a limited digital engagement next month going into early December. There's like four dates there. There are a couple here in the Salt Lake City area, if you're local. or a, I think I found one in just about every state in the, in the country, so... That's, that's pretty nice. But uh, in Japan, uh, why don't you talk about what we sort of noticed broadly about Japan? Yeah, so some of the trends that we noticed was um, in Japanese music um, for the ending themes, it was almost all produced out of house. So the company itself didn't write a song specifically for the movie. They hired an outside artist to write a song that was then tied to the movie. So it kind of came... We kind of got a rising roller coaster of whether or not it really fit the movie and whether or not it you know, was meant to more be a pop single. So that was interesting. We also noticed that it was kind of an even split between male artists and female artists and bands, um, which I think will be a contrast to what we noticed in English. Yeah, and in Japanese, it seems like they, they tie more to the themes of the movie rather than plot or character specifically. Right, it hits the emotion, but maybe not you know, specific story arcs. Yeah, I think you've also mentioned that starting with like movie seven, they, they, the, the movies are actually written that way as well to be more about a theme than... Yeah, the, yeah, the, each movie revolves around a specific theme rather than a specific story. Yeah, now to contrast the English side, let's see, they're usually done by someone with close ties to the English dub. So for like the first five generations, a lot of those were written by some folks at 4Kids or John Leffler or stuff like that. The real main exception is actually the first movie, We're a Miracle, contrary to what you might think, not actually written for Pokemon the first movie. There is an alternate version, and that's where the confusion lies sometimes, but it's actually not written for the movie. And they seem to sort of pick out either plot points, characters, stuff like that. Um, and I think uh, going there, I think there's a definite female bend to the uh, artists they have there. There's some ensemble ones, and there's only like two or three, I think, that are performed uh, by a primary male uh, vocalist. And one other thing we wanted to mention, like I said, in this series, we like to bring in outside stuff. For example, uh, I should say non-English, non-Japanese stuff. For example, 
the German version of the second Pokemon movie, uh, The Power of One is on a soundtrack, but it sounds like they actually use a song called Du bist nicht allein, or You Are Not Alone, as the uh, ending theme there. And uh, we talked about that in our European episode that is on my YouTube channel just that recently. That was a surprising song. That it, was not what I expected it to be. Yeah, yeah, we had some interesting things to kind of say about that. And then for the 20th movie, uh, I Choose You, in Singapore they had uh, a song called Future. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I thought it was it was pretty decent. Um, <laughs> let's see observations. Let's talk about some of that. So we we talked kind of about our trends. Uh, one thing you'll notice in J-pop music and the Japanese ending themes to Pokemon movies is no exception, is that they tend to use a, a decent amount of English lyrics to sort of spliced in there or plopped in there. And uh, to be honest. Uh, I kind of think that sometimes if you're not like you don't know much Japanese that that can kind of sort of make the, the the song sound a little bit I don't know frivolous sometimes or yeah, we've we've come to differing opinions on this because I'm kind of a bit more used to English lyrics that don't make sense like how many of you guys listen to J-pop yet yeah, I thought you guys might be <laughs> but yeah how do you guys feel when you listen to music and it's got English lyrics that may or may not seem to make sense in the song like does it decrease your enjoyment or not matter? Because we've come... I think it doesn't matter most of the time. Like, as long as it's like a fun song anyways. Yeah. And like, say you don't actually know the language, like, <laughs> words you do know you're say properly. Okay. Yeah, we have some uh, interesting observations about specific songs we'll bring up in a little bit. But yeah, yeah, it was an interesting thing we noticed that, yeah, how people relate to language can sometimes change your entire opinion of a song, yeah. So, um, since Japan has had, I guess, more of a music budget than the, the dub has had, they've been able to bring in a lot of rising stars, which seems to be what, the, what they look for. Andy, you want to elaborate on that? Yeah, so they tend to go with names that are really big at the time. So, like, the first music was, like, the biggest name in Enka, Kobayashi Sachiko. Like, as Crystal K came to, into her peak, she got, suddenly got a Pokemon movie. Amuro Namie got a Pokemon movie. Like, all of it happened kind of as they were in their peak. And they tend, yeah, to get somebody who's a big name and very topical for the moment. Whereas I, most of us have not heard of the English artists unless we're really, you know, keyed into that. Yeah, I've been, I've been lucky and gotten a chance to interview a number of them uh, in various capacities over the years. One other thing about Japan, I, I, although I don't speak much Japanese, I do import a lot of the CDs uh, from Japan. And I noticed that a lot of times they'll actually have, for the movie, like end themes especially, they'll have like two versions of the single mm. where they have different art on the front. Uh, yeah. they, like one is the official like Pokemon version. And one is the charting single, yeah. It's kind of interesting. I don't know how it's changed since, but when I was living over there, yeah, CD buying was still a very big thing. And people went out to buy the physical single, and it was very important thing to have even though you could still buy it online and, and you know as an mp3 so it doesn't surprise me at all that pokemon would like manufacture as many different versions as they could and oh, yeah, yeah. try all to maximize that seller audience yeah yeah some have more than two but yeah so that's kind of how that works and they'll even have different tracks and actually one thing that's popular in japan is they have a lot of pack-ins sometimes like, uh, like I've had ones that have Pokemon cards in there for, for like, the Pokemon version. Some of them pack in, like, a DVD with, like, the music video. Keychains or something. Yeah, all kinds of, mm -hmm. of, of value-added stuff there. So it's actually, and I think it's still the case that there's still a lot of CD sales there. So very different from the music economy we have here in the States, obviously. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, actually, one thing we keep bringing up, I don't think we've done it too recently, but um, I think it was towards the, towards the middle movies, like seven, eight, uh, six, seven, eight, stuff like that, we've had, uh, had to lament that uh, iTunes has had a nasty habit through various things of delisting some of the stuff that you used to be able to buy. Yeah. <laughs> um, like in 2009, there was this big purge where they took out all the DRM-only tracks. So you lost uh, the second movie score, the extra mile from the second movie, this side of Paradise from movie seven, and a bunch of other things. And, and actually, more recently, the uh, for some reason, iTunes doesn't have even have to be a master right now these days. It's been since like like May this year. It just vanished from iTunes and Apple Music. Like other services have the album for some reason. So I'm not sure exactly what happened with that. The world of music distribution is a wide and strange place. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's messy, as you've probably guessed. So let's see. So we, we've had a lot of surprises here in, in this discussion series. Um, actually, opinions of songs have kind of changed over time, and I think you have a good example there. <laughs> oh, gosh, I hated Celebi R.E.T.E. when it first came out, like the song for the fourth movie. I, I wanted a real song, and I didn't want this childish thing, but I've... I've come around on it in other years, and now it's kind of a lot more fun. I think I've gotten over my need for emo seriousness all the time. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I do have to give the uh, Japanese movie four ending theme, which is uh, Please Let There Be Good Weather Tomorrow. Yeah. Is, that, I have to give that a lot of credit. That is, that is a, a, a decent song, and, and I think I, I like it better for, for stuff for there. Movie, yeah. But Stella B-R-A-T-E is... Uh, you can have a good time. <laughs> yeah, it, it's not a badly written song or anything like that. This is just... Tone switch. So we were talking earlier about the use of English lyrics in Japanese music, and uh, one of the ones I had sort of talked about how it, it can not always make it sound like a, a great thing, like a lovely boy from the Japanese version of Movie 7, Destiny Deoxys. Mm. Uh, the English lyrics in there are uh, very bright and cheerful, and and th thankfully clued me in on what the Japanese lyrics and there's there's more to it than that slightly more yeah it's it's not the deepest song in the world but yeah if you only know the English side you're like this is really fluffy and <laughs> doesn't make a lot of sense yeah yeah there are there are Japanese songs that do English I think very well like uh, Crystal K1 is a good one even mm -hmm. though it's only like one or two lines in there it, it, it uses it quite well mm -hmm. but um, you know I mean, you know, we throw Sayonara or Au Revoir in songs, and maybe that doesn't sound, the, you know, the, the best. Maybe you flip it around that way, and you kind of realize things. Um, we also have some interesting production details uh, that we've learned through our research and doing this series. So, like, I was going back to the first movie, We're a Miracle. Um, so this was a pretty cool find that I managed to track down. Uh, it turns out it was mastered only a few weeks before the movie came out, so... The way we figured this out is actually someone in the Los Angeles area uh, did some, not only dumpster diving, but basically there was a, a storage locker somewhere there that lapsed. And in there were a bunch of mastering CDs for, uh, I'm not sure all went in there, but a bunch of Christina Aguilera songs. And one of those is uh, Miracle. It just says Miracle on there, but it's got, and it says Pokemon in the top right. And it's only like mid-October 1999, so... Very short timeline there, and that was really interesting. I actually managed to snag that one off of eBay and, and do a quick unboxing. Nothing really special on there. It's just the song by itself. Um, and uh, a neat little piece of like music history. Like, yeah, yeah. I, I, like I said, so and uh, you you did the Japanese research. What do you have to? You have to do some pretty tough stuff for that. <laughs> well, if my college professors could see me now, um, yeah, it's just. 
very hard to cite your sources when you struggle to read. So I mean, I've learned so much about a wide variety of bands in, and that some that I listened to while I was living over there and some that I you know, learned for for the first time. And it was sometimes hard to parse out like what's real facts and what's somebody's fanfic. But yeah, it's just, it's so hard to think of the fact that we live in such a global world now where I feel like the later movies going forward, there's so much English resources about bands and things that are living in Japan and even mostly performing in Japan, they still have an audience over here. Whereas a lot of the earlier stuff, especially um, Kobayashi Sachiko, as big of a star as she is, not a lot of young people listen to Enka. So it was harder to find information on her. And, you know, Amuro Namie is huge, but some of the smaller bands, less so. So it's kind of interesting to watch the times change and more people kind of crossing the language barrier and to be able to get this information to us. That's kind of been interesting to observe over time. You were had, a, I think, a sigh of relief when we did Movie 10 on the Japanese side. You just had to research Sarah, Sarah Brightman. Brightman. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that, that was a lot, uh, made things a lot easier. I, I can read again. I mean, we, there were some other ones, like Movie 8 on the Japanese side, they have, what, Puffy Amiyumi? So that's, that's the yeah, one. Yeah, that's true. That, of all the acts, that's probably, not counting Sarah Brightman, that's, of all the Japanese acts, that's probably one of the ones that Americans are most familiar with. Mm. And uh, one of the fun things we get to do, actually, is we get to talk about the other works of the, uh, the Japanese and English stuff, actually. Um, yeah, because some, some of the English artists have still active music careers, even if, you know, they're not huge household names. Yeah, I'm just curious, have uh, any of you looked up uh, other music from uh, various artists uh, after hearing them do a theme song for an anime or something like that? You just want a quick show of hands here? Yeah, I kind of figured that was something like that. Well, here's a few interesting ones. Um, Together with the Wind, the Japanese ending song for the first movie that was written by Hirokazu Hip Tanaka who, uh, prior to moving over to Creatures, Inc., actually worked for Nintendo doing game music for a number of years. And uh, one of the series he worked on there was the Mother or Earthbound series. Yeah, that's my, that probably actually explains uh, some various things about some of the early Japanese Pokemon music. But we noticed, actually, if you've played the either of the Earthbound or Mother games, uh, there's a, a thing in there, there's something called Eight Melodies. It's a different song, but... We noticed that together with the wind, there's the, uh, there's the, that passes, the dee, 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 is actually almost kind of structured in a very similar way. And it's, it was kind of interesting to make that little parallel between their work. Um, some other things we noticed, let's see, there's, uh, we talk about remixes when we can find those. So for the second movie, there's actually like, uh, for the, yeah, yeah there's, for the power of one, there's actually a two vinyl record LP set of, of eight, uh, total remixes. And, uh, there's the, uh, Tommy Musto, uh, remix, which is actually done in sort of a retro disco style. Uh, obviously he's kind of celebrating Donna Summer's career there. So if you ever want to have an extremely specific themed rave, that's the, that's a CD to pick up. Yeah, there's a, there's a CD with four of the remixes, and there's the two LP set with uh, all eight remixes. So that was, a, that was kind of a fun little discovery. And sometimes we just get some interesting off-genre stuff. Um, like in our European discussion, we had the, uh, the Celtic remix of okay. the Route 1 theme. Has anyone heard that? Yeah. Okay. okay, what's the name of that 
okay. album again because yeah, everyone I, in the world needs to hear it. So yeah, I just found out some more. We have a, a listener uh, who listens to our series from Germany, or one of the German-speaking countries anyway, and that person was able to get me some additional information. So uh, there's a CD called Gotta Catch the Sound, even though it's from Germany. It's actually got an English title on there. And it's a combination soundtrack of Pokemon Snap, and Pokemon Stadium. But in addition to that, there are four remixes. There are two from Stadium and two from Snap. I believe one of the, and one of the track we're talking about right here is called On My Way, the Celtic remix. Uh, that was given away. The CD was, is actually fairly common apparently in Germany because it was given away as a like promo for the German equivalent of Nintendo Power Magazine back in the day. And it might have been sold through retail a little bit too. Uh, but uh, it's got a, that Celtic yeah. Route One theme. It it's, uses the uh, version from Stadium, and and <laughs> it sounds like Red is tripping through the Shire. Like it's amazing. Like who even thought that that was a musical choice? That's a oh, I'm still in. I can't believe it. No, go go look that up. <laughs> yeah, it, it is. It's it's an interesting CD. It's it apparently I guess in in Germany if you're ever in there, it's not too hard to find on there, but um, I did manage to pick a copy off of eBay, and that's sort of where we got that from. <laughs> but yeah, we found all sorts of different uh, genre types. Of course, obviously, like you, go back to the second movie, we have uh, Pokemon from Weird Al and, and, and that kind of thing. So uh, that's one thing I really like about Pokemon is that, and video game music or anime music in general, is that you can go in a lot of different places that might not be so uh, common on, say, the, the pop charts. Mm-hmm. We have a few more observations, some other things here. And then we'll let you talk. Yeah, yeah, enough uh, <laughs> talking about our series here. It's an advertisement for us. Sorry about that. But um, we've, we often ask the question, like, would it be possible for them to have translated the, the Japanese song to English and used it that way? And it's, It happened once, kind of. Kind of, yeah. Make a Wish from A Small Thing is not really the same song. It uses the same melody. Uh, one thing we did notice, though, is that it switches over in the credits to the Japanese version when the Japanese part of the credits comes up in movie six, which is an, a really neat touch. Yeah. Although there, there is apparently, I've heard, there is a full-on English version of Make-A-Wish that has all the English lyrics. Yeah, I think you can even find those lyrics somewhere, but, like, no one's ever found the full track, so... Yeah, I think they use it at some of the 10th anniversary celebrations. Oh, okay. But uh, as far as actually translating, it can be really difficult. We often come to the conclusion that... Maybe it's technically possible, but the meter difference is Japanese music doesn't rhyme as much as English music. It, it can. It's kind of one of those things where different countries, the way they perceive rhyming can sometimes be different. French is another one of those languages. And in some Japanese songs, they rhyme in the way an English song would rhyme, or the last couple syllables. And sometimes Japanese has a different sort of rhythm to it, and it can make it a little harder to get a... A, a translation of meaning, a translation of that rhythm, of the feeling of it. There are people on YouTube who do it extremely well, but it's it's definitely a skill that I don't have, and not, I don't think everyone does. Yeah, so it, usually we end up with the decision that it m might not might have, not have been worth the effort. <laughs> yeah, especially when you consider you know it can be really difficult to license stuff across boundaries and things like that. In the music world, it's unfortunately that's one of the reasons. Like, if you go on iTunes or Spotify or something like that, you don't see. Always get all the stuff. Yeah, you, you, you kind of, you kind of got a double problem there because it's a foreign act and it's also a licensed song in some way, shape, or form. So that can make it really difficult. That's kind of part of the reason why you don't have some of the the, the Pokemon stuff. Despite the fact, like the, the the first movie pop soundtrack sold like two million copies in the U.S., but like one service has it. 
Uh, and even then, like, not every track. Mm-hmm. And, of course, you know, since we have different backgrounds just in general, and especially Anne being in Japan for a year or two, uh, we kind of get different perspectives on, on different songs. Yeah. We, we've kind of talked about how, you know, if you only understand the English parts of the song, that can kind of give you maybe the wrong impression of, yeah. of something like that. And if you really love the band, that can change your opinion of a, of a mediocre song into an amazing song. So, but it's been interesting to, like, come at this for the show and, like, have such differing opinions sometimes and to be able to appreciate what the other person likes about it. And uh, sometimes when we get uh, two different songs there, what we, what we, we do find that they, even if we prefer one over the other, they oftentimes both have at least some value. Like, yeah, yeah. So going back to the 11th Pokemon movie, that's the Giratina and Shaman movie. Um, you know, on the Japanese side, you have one by Crystal K. And then on the uh, English side, you have This is a Beautiful World. I, I prefer one. Uh, but we kind of realized that um, one has more of an airy flying quality, whereas This is a Beautiful World is more down-to-earth, which in hindsight is actually kind of appropriate for Shaman, which has a sky form and a land form. Yeah. So like, that Little things like that, it's like they couldn't possibly have coordinated that, right. but it works. <laughs> and of course, like I said, we, we get a bunch of different genres in there, everything from what, Enka, Jazz Fusion, Polka, Acapella. There's a really great little Acapella piece, at least in the Japanese oh, score movie of, nine, yeah. of Movie 9. I, I had mentioned I'm a big Acapella fan uh, growing up with uh, the nylons and rockapella and uh, so that that was a, a nice one for me and the other thing we like to do is we like to play what if sometimes we like to pick a different song by the artist or something like that i think our biggest one so far is um uh, movie two on the japanese side mina gaitakura should have been the ending theme <laughs> yeah all due respect to uh twaimwa is beautiful too but no <laughs> Yeah, so that was kind of a, an interesting uh, little discussion there. But, let's see. I think that brings us to sort of uh, Q&A. So, we, we want to hear your favorite Pokemon music and why. What, what is it that makes it touch you? Yeah, don't be shy. I thought we saw someone. All right, yes. Uh, what's your name? And, uh, Avery. Avery, okay. What do you got there? Um, so, I don't know. I think it's kind of interesting when you guys were talking earlier about how the... Um, a lot of the English renditions seem to be more of like the pop singers, but then they also have like the, the pop single that's meant to be like on the charts or whatever. Mm. It kind of reminds me of like how you see like Disney movies these days. Oh yeah. Like they always have like, you know, that like the movie version of like Let It Go or something, and then you have like, I think it's Selena Gomez with somebody singing like the pop version that is meant to be like right. the... And I don't know if that has something to do with like American culture or like if that's where they're getting it from or how far back no, that's interesting. I hadn't thought about it, but you're right. Like Disney movies do that a lot too, and I wonder if it is that same mindset of like, you know, the voice actress is going to sing the one for the movie, and that's going to be the movie. But we can also chart really high on the singles if we get Demi Lovato. That's, yeah, no, I think in Japan maybe has a similar mindset in that sense. I hadn't thought about it until you brought it up, but it's basically the same thing. Well, well, speaking of Disney movies, yeah, I mean, going back to Mulan, of course, that was, I forget who did this, it wasn't Ming-Na Wen, she did the voice of Mulan, but not the singing voice, but then, of was course... Was it Leah Salonga? I honestly don't remember. Yeah, someone knows, someone knows. <laughs> but, of course, Christina Aguilera, speaking of We Are a Miracle, did the, the pop version that really launched her career, um, and actually some of the same folks worked on We Are a Miracle, so there's some definite connections there. That may have, may have gotten the We Are a Miracle a few plays on Radio Disney. That, and there's some other Disney connections on the first movie soundtrack. 
that we can maybe go into later. But yeah, that is sort of a, a thing there. I don't know that I would want, all due respect to Veronica Taylor, I don't know if I'd want her to try and sing We're a Miracle or The Power of One. You didn't love the Christmas bash. It's, it's, an, it's, an okay, it's an okay album, but I don't, I, it's certainly not top of my list. When I ran the station, I was a little bit, you know, not, not totally hate on it, but kind of glad that I only had to play it like about a month out of the year. But, uh, yeah, so uh, other questions, observations, yeah. comments, anything Favorite like that? Songs. Or if you want contrast Pokemon to other anime or stuff like that, uh, any questions like that? Uh, feel free to ask that. Otherwise, we can talk a little bit more. Uh, we have another oh, 15, 20 minutes or so in our time range here. But we we don't often get to talk to people about mm -hmm. Pokemon music. So, like, really, speak up. Tell us your favorites, your favorite Pokemon movie, if you, music is not coming to mind. Yeah, I mean, um, well, actually, here's a good question. What's your favorite Pokemon music as an over or Pokemon movie as an overall musical package? Uh, mine is 2000. Um, I just love the score to that one. It's probably one, it's definitely one of my top favorite movie scores of all time. I mean, my favorite is still the first movie. Yeah. I remember being like 10 and like sobbing my eyes out to that song when they're all like frozen and stuff. I know. Oh. No, that's a good one. Yeah, I, yeah, the English score of that movie like just hits you in the heart. <laughs> Yeah, I had, a, I had a really good opportunity three or four years ago to interview uh, Ralph Shuckett, who did the, uh, the dub scores for the first three Pokemon movies. And we go into a lot of detail on there about uh, sort of what his direction was and sort of what the process was. And he, he talks about some of the, the sacrifices they had to make. They couldn't do a, a real orchestra for the whole thing because A, money, and B, time, which is kind of unfortunate. He talked about how, how he worked with Norman Grossfeld. He provided a lot of the direction of what he wanted in terms of like overall stuff there. I, I admit, the, the first movie is also one of my favorite movie scores of all time. Tears of Life, really good. Uh, three on Three is sort of my other favorite uh, score element from there. And things, things like that. What about the vocal songs in the first movie? Like I said, that was a, that was a two million seller. Uh, any thoughts, any questions? I can try to answer uh, about those as I've done a lot of research over the years. But any, any, yeah. any questions? Want to try and stump me? I know, I know. My 90s soul is set afire. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. The Britney Spears, the only reason I can think of they, they picked that song, not that it's a horrible song, but it is an, soda pop is an item in the games. <laughs> I don't know if they were thinking that hard, but it does fit. <laughs> Just think, if they had kept doing that, would we have gotten Beyonce's Lemonade years later? <laughs> yes! <laughs> Yeah. I, I do really wonder what they're going to do with the Detective Pikachu movie, because that's going to be a, a big production. We're going to see a level of promotion we haven't seen since, For like, a while, it, yeah. probably 2000. Uh, probably since that, where they went all out. Three was wide release, but not as big. Uh, but I really wonder, like, what kind of score they're going to use, whether they're going to have insert songs. If they are, who's going to write? If there's going to be a big ending theme over the credits and stuff like that. That'll be an interesting thing to, to find out there. So I'm really interested in that because they're obviously going to have a bigger budget there for music and things like that. So we'll see. Um, really interested in that. Uh, but yeah, NSYNC, I, I did get a chance actually last year to do a written interview with uh, Mark uh, Muller, who co-wrote that song. Uh, he, it was originally written for a woman by the name of Jennifer Page. Her big song is Crush. 
you know, it's just a little crush, that one. But she also did the original version of that. Uh, interesting thing, Mark Muller, kind of a thing from my childhood, he actually wrote the theme song, speaking of Disney, for DuckTales and Rescue Rangers. I do kind of think Somewhere Someday sounds kind of like a little bit like a slowed-down version of the DuckTales theme. There's a little bit of that in there. But that was fun to learn some of that, that stuff out there. He actually played a bit of a role in getting it on the soundtrack because uh, NSYNC was in a weird spot there because they were switching between producers and stuff like that. And uh, they somehow managed to get that. So it's kind of a miracle that song even made it on the soundtrack because there was like some red tape involved and things like that. For, for you just walking in, we're talking about our favorite Pokemon uh, music, favorite Pokemon movies. So if you have something you just want to share, like I love X because blah, feel free to stick your hand up. <laughs> yeah, we do kind of want to hear that. Um, let's see, some other things you might not know. On the first movie soundtrack, remember the song, uh, Making My Way Any Way That I Can? You know, that one, the, the Billy Piper. So yeah, if you need to play Six Degrees with uh, Pokemon and Doctor Who, that's how you get there. But there's like three or four different, at least, other versions of that song. There's like a, a version originally by Winona Judd, uh, which is on the soundtrack to a movie called The Associate. Um, there's also a version, let's see, Marsha Hines. There was a version, an ensemble version that was used in the MTV reality series Faking the Video. All very different arrangements, and that's another fun thing we get to do in, in this series. Is I would say check some of those out. You might not like them as much as the Billy Piper one was the one to use for this movie. Um, and it, it works so well because I think, in part because, you know, you said, if the river's too wide, I'll get through it. If the mountain's too high, and, you know, maybe that's a, uh, a reference nod to that other song uh, from back in the 70s or whatever. Those were figurative originally when that was written, I'm sure, but in, in, in Pokemon, those are things you literally do in the games. You have to cross rivers and climb mountains and stuff like that. So that makes that a, a really interesting choice. Uh, it was written, I think, let's see, by Diane Warren, a uh, very prominent songwriter. I don't remember. She's been nominated for like Best Original Song at the Oscars nine times, including this last year. I think she might have lost again, unfortunately. <laughs> She'll get it one of these years. Outside of lyrical tracks, I was really impressed. How many of you saw the Victini, a Victini movie? <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the two different scores completely and two different composers scoring each film, I thought that was really impressive. And I think in my heart I lean a little more towards white, but then I watch black and I'm like, oh my gosh, that's good too. Does anyone have any strong opinions about that movie? Because I'm interested to see if we have to split this like a wedding or... <laughs> Nah. <laughs> it's, it's, an, it's an interesting study. I saw, well, I think I saw, must have seen Pokemon the movie White first, because I saw it, and they did a limited theatrical digital run for that. That's one of the nice things. You know, back when they did the limited stuff for the fourth and fifth movies, much harder because they were still using film. They had to print that out. Mm -hmm. You had to switch between cities every couple of weeks. But now with the digital stuff, they can, you know, just put a bunch of hard drives out there and stuff like that. So I do, I do like that, but I did see, going back to the movie, I did see White first, uh, Zekrom. Uh, okay. I saw that one first before I saw the, the Reshiram one. I'm not sure I had a huge opinion on the scores, even though I have listened to those. Yeah, well, neither of them really have a piece of music that's like, kagam. It's just like the idea of that musical project of like, this is going to be a completely separate thing, and then together they make the whole. Like, I'm still... Oh, what an idea. <laughs> well, in the, I know in the white movie, there's actually like a score theme that comes back a couple times that 
I think it just maybe sticks because it seems vaguely reminiscent of Zelda's Lullaby from the Legend of Zelda series. <laughs> so you got the, a few notes that are in common there. Anyone else have a deja vu moment listening to it, really any anime song or stuff like that? I would throw that one out there. I think I'll, I'll bring up, we talked about briefly about In Excess earlier. I, I, I see I, you thinking. <laughs> but um, one of the ones uh, I really like on the Japanese side is, is this ending theme from the fourth generation called Kaze no Message or Message of the Wind. Oh, yeah. And I have this sneaking suspicion. I looked up some of the details about, like, the guy who wrote it was born in the early 70s, so in the late 80s. I know NXS does have some Japanese fan base. He would have been about the right age when they hit their, their peak there in the late 80s. But um, it, if it had a saxophone, I'd be willing to call it a, a, a ripoff. But... <laughs> Just weird stuff like that sometimes. I think going back to Hip Tanaka, he likes to sample like Beatles stuff. I think there is one of the, the early Pokemon stuff samples I am the Walrus or something like that has a, a similar line there. But yeah, that, that's. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, so I got a question for you guys. So the last Pokemon I've seen was uh, Poopa, and then there oh, was yeah. the Poopa one. Mm -hmm. And there was not a single song that stuck out to me, and it was all just kind of. Land, are, are, you, are you talking about now? Are you talking about the ending theme songs or the score? Because it's all of it. And, and okay, now the score. This is starting with the uh, X and Y movies. They started. They went back to using a, a unique uh, English score. Are you talking about the Japanese score or the English score for English. that? Okay. And that kind of gets to my question: Was do you think throughout the years they've kind of stopped putting as much effort into not just the musicality of the movies, but the themselves or is it just a nostalgia filter both of the movie and the songs? Well, I actually I have an opinion, but if you want to take it first. Oh, sure. Yeah, I think this might be the last question we have to wrap up on, but thank you very much. So, actually, I kind of have the reverse opinion. So, the last few movies, starting with the uh, Diancy movie in Gen 6, have all been scored uh, primarily by a man by the name of, oh gosh, I did a written interview with him. I can see his face, <laughs> and I cannot remember his name off the top of my head. Oh, this is embarrassing. It'll come to me right after this panel ends. But anyway, the guy they hired who replaced sort of the, the John Leffler crew from the fourth and fifth generations. Gosh, I'm trying to remember the, the name of the guy. It's, it's bugging me all the time. Um, I can, like I said, I can see his face. But anyway, they brought him in, uh, he, and now he does scores for the, the movies as well. They usually keep some of the game themes. I actually kind of like what his work is, is more, and that's getting back to the subjectivity. I can see how some people would prefer like the Shinji Miyazaki stuff, because he did um, he worked in some manner, well, on all the Japanese movies except for guest composers right. on that side. Um, but they, uh, I kind of prefer, I, after movie 10 with Arasia, and I think Shinji Miyazaki's work yeah. is, it isn't awful or ear piercing or anything like that, but there's been very little that's made me say, that was really good or anything like that, kind of unfortunately. Ed Goldfarb, that's the name <laughs> of yeah. the person who does the, most of the music stuff nowadays in the, in the dub. So, uh, in, in my opinion, I really do think there is an A team and a B team with the Pokemon movies and like they kind of seem to alternate years and when you look at the staff it kind of seems to reflect that you've got this team working on the, the movie this year and then a lot of different people and then a little bit of crossover and you know the one team seems to produce stronger movies and the other team slightly less stronger movies and so I do think that sometimes yeah I the B movie of the year is not as solid 
And I, I also agree with you, like, some of the earlier Pokemon movies that Shinji Miyazaki did, a lot more variety in tone and instrumentation and in themes and things, and whereas some of the later ones are a little bit more generic and bland. So I think I do see what you're saying, yeah. I, I don't know that it's necessarily a lack of effort as... Like, when they brought in the new people to do the two Victini scores, you heard a marked difference of, this is different than, like, the past five Pokemon movies where you almost could have just swapped out the score and it probably wouldn't change. So I don't know if it's less a lack of effort as much as, you know, maybe they need to just switch a few people up. And I think maybe sometimes you get into doing a way of things and the B team gets you know, good at their job and the A-team gets good at their job and maybe if we just switch the team up a little, we'd have some fresh ideas. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, so that's, I think we're going to do it. We're getting a little bit, uh, the signal here, but... Oh, sorry. That's okay. Thank you very much for coming. Really appreciate that. We can talk afterwards if you have some more questions or thank comments. Thank you, thank you. All right, thank you very much. Thanks for listening to the PokePress Digest podcast. We'd appreciate if you rate or review us on your podcast app of choice. If you'd like to find more of our great content, visit our website at pokepress.blogspot.com. If you'd like to contact us, send an email to pokepress at gmail.com or follow at pokepress on Twitter.